Well, hello and welcome to the Jazz Focus. My name is John Clark. Thank you for joining us today. And uh, welcome if it's your first time. And I uh, hope you make a habit of joining us here and experiencing uh, some very focused looks at some jazz that uh, you may not have heard before. Today we're going to be focusing in on a particular band that existed only for about six months or so. Uh, I picked this because it's, a, it's an interesting group that's reflective of uh, some of the musical style in New York of the time, which is 1944, and it was also quite well documented on recordings, and that was accidental more than anything else, but uh, we have it, so we're going to listen to it. This is a band that was uh, led by the trumpeter Max Kaminsky, uh, who was a Boston native, white trumpet player, who was born in 1908 in Boston, as I said, and had quite an interesting career uh, doing what we would call Dixieland jazz, but also a big band. Band, uh, society band music, a lot of different things. Uh, he had uh, been in uh, the Navy during World War II. He was playing in a service band that initially was led by Artie Shaw. And uh, if you read Max Kaminsky's autobiography called My Life in Jazz, you hear a lot of interesting stories about that. Um, he had uh, been demobilized, I guess, before the end of the war, early in 1944. And he had come back uh, by way of Los Angeles or San Francisco, I forget which, he had been out in the Pacific, and uh, he had wended his way across the country. He ended up in Chicago, we're going to hear one recording he made in Chicago, probably in the March-April uh, period of 1944, and then he came back to New York and started playing with several different groups, uh, most of which were sort of uh, organized around the Eddie Condon group of musicians that uh, Max Kaminsky had been a part of for a long time before he uh, went into the service. And uh, he decided to put a band together. And uh, we'll talk about this uh, a little bit later, but it was at a club called the Pied Piper, and it had a relatively stable personnel for about six or seven months or so. And uh, with Max Kaminsky on trumpet was a clarinet player named Rod Kless. And we've done another podcast, a radio show actually, with uh, Rod Kless as the feature. He and Art Hodes, the piano player, they played together quite a lot. But uh, this was... Uh, uh, or, or rather, Rod Kless's day gig, if you will, playing with this Max Kaminsky group. The third member of the front line was a fellow named Frank Orchard on valve trombone. He didn't really do too much other than uh, these recordings, uh, in jazz anyway, but uh, he was a very effective front line player, and we'll talk about him as we go. In the rhythm section, at least on the first set of recordings we're going to hear, we're going to hear George Wetling, who was omnipresent on these Dixieland sessions for Commodore and uh, different companies, Blue Note and other ones that featured a lot of this, uh, what we would call traditional jazz, but what they called Dixieland at the time. We will hear Eddie Condon sitting in on guitar. He wasn't a regular member of the group, but he was uh, an organizer, so he was here. Bob Casey was on bass. And in this case, we will hear James P. Johnson, the great Harlem Stride pianist, who was just coming back from, uh, or recovering, I should say, from having a stroke in the earlier part of the 1940s, and was just getting back into playing again, or playing uh, outside jobs, not just recording sessions and so forth. We're also going to hear on some other sides uh, one of the other great stride pianists of the day, Willie the Lion Smith. And in his autobiography, Kaminsky says uh, Smith was the band pianist and James P. Johnson was the intermission pianist. But he said they would switch roles depending on how they felt on any given night. And he said there was no problem either way. He loved to have either one in the band. So the first session we're going to listen to was done for Commodore Records, that great... Uh, 
traditional jazz label from uh, the late 1930s, lasted up until, oh, I think about 1950 or so. It was founded by Milt Gabler, who was the proprietor of the Commodore Record Shop, and uh, he was responsible for bringing together a lot of very interesting groups, not just Dixieland groups, but swing groups. Uh, it was he who gave Billie Holiday the chance to record Strange Fruit. Uh, he did a lot of solo piano recordings and uh, even some progressive, slightly more progressive recordings later on in that label's career. These were done on June 22nd of 1944 in New York City with the group that I just mentioned. We're going to hear four tunes, the four tunes from that session. We're going to hear Love Nest, which uh, was familiar to old radio and television buffs as the theme for the Burns and Allen program. Then Everybody Loves My Baby. Then a real jazz tune called Eccentric. And uh, that's a good feature for Rod Kless there. And then we're going to hear a tune that was made famous by Ethel Waters in the late 20s. Guess Who's in Town? And we're going to end up that set with uh, that curiosity I mentioned. As uh, When Kaminsky stopped off in Chicago on his way to New York, he did a recording session for, I think, Century Records. Just uh, he on him on trumpet and George Zack on piano. George Zack was a barrelhouse piano player from Chicago. Uh, we had him on a uh, radio show a while back that's on this podcast channel. Uh, he made recordings with Muggsy Spanier and a lot of other players, too. But here it's just the two of them, just George Zack and Max Kaminsky doing What Did I Do to Be So Black and Blue? Probably in the early part of 1944, I would guess February to March. That would give Kaminsky time to get to New York and organize himself and put that band together that we heard on the uh, first four sides. So those are our five sides uh, for this first session. Max Kaminsky and his jazz band with Love Nest, Everybody Loves My Baby, Eccentric, and Guess Who's in Town, and Max Kaminsky and George Zack and Black and Blue. Thank <laughs> you. 
So we ended up with that curiosity, Black and Blue, the Fats Waller tune. What did I do to be so black and blue? Played by George Zack on piano and Max Kaminsky on trumpet. The notes to uh, the album that I got that from, which was called Trumpet Royalty, said that it was done in Chicago early in 1944 after Kaminsky's discharge from the Navy. And uh, that would make sense, although he doesn't mention that in his autobiography. He said he uh, demobilized in San Francisco and was sent right back to New York. But apparently he did stop off, if this is indeed the case. And he made that recording, and I think a couple of others, for Century with uh, George Zack. Uh, following that, Kaminsky uh, was sent back to New York. He actually was sent to the hospital at Bethesda, Maryland, because he was suffering from quite a few different ailments that he'd contracted in the jungle, and I think some PTSD and all that. And so he was there for a while, but he was back in New York by March 30th of 1944, because he did a recording for World Transcriptions with Eddie Condon uh, that featured... Uh, uh, the usual or a usual cast of characters at the time, including um, Pee Wee Russell and Wilbur de Paris, Joe Bushkin, and so forth. We're going to play those on another podcast at some point. And, uh, as I said, uh, he uh, put together this band to go into the Pied Piper, which was a new club in New York City, and his account of how that came to be is in his autobiography. It was uh, founded by a couple of... Um, entrepreneurs who were uh, more into jukeboxes and uh, things like that and decided it was time to open a club, and they did, and they handed over to Kaminsky all the possibilities of, of music, and so they uh, let him get a piano and get the band together, and I believe that they played together from May and up through December of 1944 and into 1945 as well. So we heard the first four tunes that they recorded in June of 1944 for Commodore. We heard Love Nest, uh, followed by Everybody Loves My Baby, Eccentric, and Guess Who's in Town, all featuring Max Kaminsky on trumpet, taking more solos than he usually got when he was a sideman with other bands. He was known for his lead playing, his lead trumpet in a Dixieland band, but uh, he was a, a, an effective, if not a flashy, soloist. Also, Rod Kless really takes uh, some of the honors here. He was a fine clarinet player, uh, somewhat in the Frank Teschmarker tradition, but smoother. He was a, a, a more of a finished clarinet player. He had some ideas that were similar to Pee Wee Russell's, but again, uh, a much smoother technique, and he had been heard uh, since the 1920s on recordings and in band dates and so forth. He had recorded The Great Sixteen, the sides with Muggsy Spanier uh, for RCA Victor, actually for Bluebird Records in 1939, which is really uh, the basis of a lot of Dixieland and traditional jazz, uh, a lot of it that's happened since then. And as I said, he played with a number of other groups as well. He unfortunately died quite suddenly uh, after he finished a night at the Pied Piper in December of 1944. He went home. He had been drinking a bit, and uh, he actually fell off his own balcony, which unfortunately cost him his life. Too bad. He was not very old. He had been born in 1907, I think, or 1906. He was a year older than Kaminsky, and uh, presumably would have uh, gone on for quite a bit longer. Frank Orchard was on valve trombone. Uh, he had a pretty short uh, recording career in New York. He did all of these sides we're going to hear today, plus recording with uh, Joe Marsala and Winging Manone. Um, and then I don't know what happened to him after that, but he reemerged in the 1970s and played uh, some New York jazz sessions then, so he lived at least that long. James P. Johnson was on piano. As I mentioned, he was just sort of coming out of... Um, 
not really retirement or enforced retirement, I guess you'd have to say. He'd had some strokes in the early part of the 40s, which had uh, made him not able to play up to the level that he wanted. So he essentially retired from live performance. But by 1944, he was starting to feel his way back. And uh, he had a, a late career renaissance from 1944 till about 1946 or 47. He recorded extensively solo and uh, in bands before he had another stroke that unfortunately uh, completely uh, ended his career. And he lived on a few more years years after that. We heard Eddie Condon strumming away in the background. He was responsible for organizing a lot of these Commodore dates for bands that weren't even his own. Uh, Bob Casey was a bass player, shows up on a lot of dates, and George Wetling, as I mentioned, on drums. So those were the four sides for Commodore, and then the duo side with George Zack, Black and Blue, after that. So we're going to go on to uh, uh, another recording session by essentially the same band. This was done uh, in the fall, in September, I believe, of 1944. Uh, September 29th, in fact. So the band had been playing together for um, three months uh, following the recording session for Commodore, and they're a very tight group, same front line. Uh, Max Kaminsky, Frank Orchard, and Rod Kless. Here we're going to hear Willie the Lion Smith on piano, along with uh, Bob Casey, on bass, and um, Mac McGrath on drums. And some sources say that Eddie Condon is in here too. It's kind of hard to hear a guitar, but um, it's possible that he could have been in here on a couple of sessions as well. This was a date for uh, world transcriptions, and I don't, I've never quite understood the connection between this transcription company and DECA Records, but some of the world transcription signs were issued on DECA at different times, and uh, we've seen that. I think we heard some of the Roy Eldridge uh, world and DECA things. Uh, the uh, Eddie Condon date I mentioned earlier was for world transcriptions. These were um, recordings that were made uh, to be marketed to radio stations. They were often anonymous, although people could tell who was playing on them, and they were used for filler material or background recordings for shows and things like that. They were licensed for that. And because they were done in this way, they were actually recorded very, very well. So the sound quality is usually better than most of the studio recordings of the day. But as I said, some of them get released on DECA and sometimes even Brunswick records as well. So it's kind of hard to untangle that. At any rate, Kaminsky did eight sides during uh, this date, September 29th, 1944. We're going to hear six of them. Um, he also did a recording of Black and Blue and Eccentric, but since we've heard other versions of those tunes, I decided to eliminate those. But we're going to hear four tunes coming up now from this transcription date. We're going to hear Jazz Me Blues, followed by the Harry Barris tune, Wrap Your Troubles in Dreams. Then the good old Chicago tune, credited to Jeller L. Morton, Someday Sweetheart, which... Uh, features uh, Willie Lion Smith, in fact. Then we're going to hear the Dippermouth Blues, another great Chicago tune, of course, by King Oliver and done by the Creole Jazz Band. And Max Kaminsky will recreate the Oliver solo, and Rod Kless will recreate the Johnny Dodd solo. So those will be four sides from this transcription session of September 1944. Good jazz standards. Jasmine Blues, Wrap Your Troubles in Dreams, Someday Sweetheart, and the Dippermouth Blues.
Some really classic Eddie Condon Dixieland, played by a band led by Max Kaminsky. And I think you could hear Eddie Condon playing guitar in there as well. So we heard Max Kaminsky on trumpet, Frank Orchard on valve trombone, Rod Kless on clarinet, Willie the Lion Smith on piano, Eddie Condon on guitar. I had said Bob Casey on bass. He was on the Commodore session, but it was, in fact, Jack Lesberg playing bass on this session. And uh, Mac McGrath on drums and playing on September 29, 1944, uh, in a session for World Records. We heard the Jazz Me Blues, followed by Wrap Your Troubles in Dreams, Someday Sweetheart, with a particularly nice piano solo, and then the Dipper Mouth Blues, which featured all hands on that one. And uh, Max Kaminsky, as I said, was really known as a, uh, a lead man in a Dixieland ensemble, but he played quite a lot of big band jobs as well. He played with the uh, very early version of the uh, Tommy Dorsey band, I think the first version of the classic Artie Shaw band. He was with the Glenn Miller band for a while, uh, and he was a, a good enough reader that he could do that, but he always sort of uh, veered back to the, uh, the jazz of Chicago of the 1920s. He had actually gone from Boston to Chicago, and played a few gigs out there. He'd met um, Frank Tushmarker and a few of the, the classic uh, Chicago guys out there, but then turned around and went back to New York where he made the acquaintance of Bix Beiderbeck and Frank Trumbauer as well. So he had quite a, a sphere of influences going there, although his own playing probably reflected Louis Armstrong more than anybody else. And um, these sides definitely show that, I believe. So we're going to go on and play two more sides from that session and two sides recorded uh, the same day uh, for a different label. So the last two sessions from this world, or two sides from this world transcription session are Home and Old Fashioned Love. Old Fashioned Love was a tune by James P. Johnson, here played by Willie the Lion Smith. So we'll hear uh, his take on his uh, compatriot's uh, tune there. 
After that, we're going to hear uh, the results or half the results of a recording session that was done uh, for the Black and White label. In different podcasts, I've talked about that. That was a, a label that uh, sprung up in the middle 1940s, and the very title, Black and White, suggests its political uh, leanings and the fact that it was into integration on the bandstand and in the recording studio. And they made a number of really excellent jazz recordings. Um, this band is one of the few that was an actual work band at the time. They did a lot of uh, uh, pickup band sessions that, that sometimes worked very well and sometimes didn't. And then about 1945, I believe the label up and, and went to the West Coast and started recording more rhythm and blues and early rock and roll and even some bebop sessions. But we're going to hear a session that was led, nominally anyway, by Willie the Lion Smith. And um, this is the same band that we just heard. It's Max Kaminsky, uh, Frank Orchard, Rod Kless, Willie the Lion, Jack Lesberg, and Mac McGrath. And I don't believe Eddie Condon is on this one. It's called The Lion's Jazz Band, and they recorded four tunes. Again, September 29th, 1944. I don't know if it was in the same recording studio or if they went to a different studio. I'm not sure. I guess it doesn't matter too much. Um, the first two tunes, which we're not going to hear, were tunes composed by Willie the Lion and feature vocals by him, and he was not a great singer. He recorded quite a lot as a singer on his own sides. He, he had a much higher opinion of his uh, vocality than I think uh, the evidence would suggest was appropriate, but uh, we're going to hear the two instrumental tracks. We're going to hear Muskrat Ramble and The Bugle Call Rag, both, of course, standards that presumably the uh, Kaminsky Band was playing at the Pied Piper uh, on a nightly basis there in the fall of 1944. So, this is going to be uh, a uh, four-session set. We are going to hear the same band on the same day under different names, playing Home, Old Fashioned Love, Muskrat Ramble, and The Bugle Call Rag. Thank you. 
So there we have it, the Max Kaminsky Jazz Band as appearing nightly at the Pied Piper in Greenwich Village. And we heard Max Kaminsky on trumpet, Frank Orchard on valve trombone, Rod Kless on clarinet, William Lyon-Smith on piano, Jack Lesberg on bass, and Mac McGrath on drums. We started out with Home, and then went to Old Fashioned Love, had some suitably stridy piano uh, contributions on those from Willie the Lion, uh, conjuring up his his uh, friend James P. Johnson, who uh, alternated with him on the bandstand of the Pied Piper. And then we went to Willie the Lion's uh, nominal date, using the same band on the same day, September 29, 1944. And we heard Muskrat Ramble and Bugle Call Rag. And of course, you could imagine that these tunes were uh, extended on the bandstand, longer so and things like that. But a good picture of how a nightclub in New York in 1944 featuring this type of music probably would have sounded. Um, it was a very tightly organized band, but not uh, not uh, limited in, in the sense that they were just playing arrangements. Clearly they were improvising, they knew these tunes well, but there were a lot of little niceties that come up, little background figures and transitions and things like that that could only be done if you were playing on a nightly basis with the same group. And we heard that with the Max Kaminsky Band. So I hope you've enjoyed this program. My name is John Clark. This is the Jazz Focus. Hope you'd be interested in maybe sponsoring us if you're listening to us on Anchor.fm, which is our home, or on one of the other uh, lovely platforms that carries this podcast, Spotify, Apple, what have you. You can probably figure out where to uh, sponsor us or how to sponsor us on a monthly basis or a continuing uh, or a one-time basis, I should say. If you... uh, would like to make a comment or suggest a future program, my social media is Wolverine Jazz Band, the name of my band, WolverineJazzBand.net or the Wolverine Jazz Band on Facebook or Instagram. So I'd love to hear from you and uh, hope you're enjoying these programs as much as I am enjoying doing them and keep tuning in. So I'll see you on the other side.